I want to share with you a passage that comes from 1 Kings chapter 19 tonight. So if you would, grab your copy of God's Word, wherever you may find that out, and make your way to 1 Kings chapter 19. The series is called Scared to Death, where we're focusing in on fighting back our fears. And remember last week, as we got this series started off, we talked about how fear is a lot like a rope. And the more strands that a rope has, the stronger that rope is. And fear is a lot like that in many ways. Fear can have many different strands to it. And when those different strands get woven together, they can create quite a strong bondage in our lives. But just like that rope, if we begin to take those individual strands and we begin to pull them apart, and as we do so, that rope gets weaker and weaker and becomes a lot easier to break and shake loose from. And so the same concept applies with this series that we're in and looking at our fears. We're going to take it just like this rope and we're going to pull out those many different strands of fear that weave their way into our lives. And as we do so, I truly believe God's going to use that to weaken the grip of fear that has kept a lot of us in bondage for a long time. And so tonight we need to pull apart another strand and we're going to do that through 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 1. And we'll read several verses, so just stay with me for a moment. But God's Word reads in 1 Kings chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak because Elijah wanted to follow proper coronavirus protocol to make sure that he had his mask on. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. 
And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want to feed you in just for a few moments as we get further into the story tonight, a little bit about the character that we find in this story. Elijah was a prophet of God, and during Elijah's time, the nation of Israel had forsaken God and had started to follow the Baals and the Asherahs, which were false gods that King Ahab and his wicked queen Jezebel had began to force the nation to bow down to and worship and serve as their gods. But Elijah, during this time, even though the crowd was going with Ahab and Jezebel and worshiping this false god, Elijah took his stand. He said, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to bow down to these false idols. I'm not going to bow down to these false gods. I worship and I serve and I live for the one true almighty God. And so Elijah, in the midst of the rest of his society, turning their back on God, took his stand and he decided to live for God. And because of that, God began to use him in a mighty way to turn the nation of Israel back to the true worship of the one true God. But it wasn't an easy job. Elijah, Elijah at times felt like he was the only one that was making a stand for God. And it all boiled down to this huge showdown in chapter 18, right before the chapter we just read, where Elijah said, I tell you what, to prove once and for all that Yahweh is the one true God, let's have a showdown. And so he challenged the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah to a mountain showdown. And they climbed on top of the mountain, and Elijah said, I'll tell you what, let's both prepare a sacrifice. I'll prepare mine, and you prepare yours. And then we'll ask our gods to call down fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. And whoever's God answers by fire, that will be the one true God. And so all these false prophets began to dance around and shout and worship and sing songs of praise to their false gods. And all day this went on, and nothing happened. And after Elijah had given them the entire day to try and get their God to answer them and nothing happened, he stood up and called upon the one true God. He called upon Yahweh and God sent down fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifices and thus a great victory was won for Elijah and for the turning back of the people and their hearts towards the one true God. But after that had happened, where we picked up in chapter 19, Ahab got word of what had happened and he told Jezebel, this is what Elijah has done. He has called down fire from heaven and then he has killed all of our prophets that we had set up to force these people and to convince them to worship the Baals and the Asherahs. And so Jezebel, who was as wicked of a woman as has ever lived on the face of this earth, sent a death threat to Elijah saying, So help me if I don't do unto you exactly what you did under all these prophets that you had killed by the sword, that's exactly what I'm going to have done to you by the time the sun sets on this next day. And so Elijah, filled with fear, all at once begins to run away as far as he can from Jezebel to escape from her. And there's a key point that he says in verse 10 when he's having a conversation with God that I want to set up as a subject of our message tonight where he says, I only am left. The strand of fear that we're pulling out tonight is our fear of being alone. Our fear of being Alone. When I was in college, I can remember me and a group of guys sitting around one afternoon, and somehow we got into a conversation about what our greatest fears were. And I can remember one of the guys saying that his greatest fear was 
spiders. And I can relate to that. I can't stand spiders. The only good spider is a dead spider. I, those creepy, crawly things just, ooh, I can't stand spiders. One of the other guys said that his greatest fear was heights, which I can somewhat relate to as well. I'm not a big fan of heights. And one of the guys said that his greatest fear was a positive pregnancy test. And you got to understand that this wasn't exactly the most godly group of guys that I was with when we were having this conversation. So that was a legitimate fear from him. But I remember one of them saying when it got to him that his greatest fear was being alone. And all the joking stopped and everything got silent for the next few moments because this realization set in that deep down all of us had that same fear as well. We had this deep fear of being alone, of not having anybody. And that was the first time that I ever realized the true extent of how gripping this fear can be. And the reason why I believe this fear is so intense is because it goes against how we were created and wired to be. We were created to be in community. We were created to be relational with each other. When God had completed all of his creation, the only thing that he saw wasn't good was that man was alone. And so he fixed that problem. Elijah has been swallowed up by the fear that he himself is all alone, that he doesn't have anyone. And he isn't unique in this. I think a lot of people get bound up by this fear in different ways. A lot of us have a fear of being truly alone physically, as, as in being stranded on an island or something like that, and there's literally nobody else around. It's just us, and we're stuck there by ourselves. Some of us fear being alone or think that we're alone in a family crisis. Some of us feel like we're alone relationally, that we're stuck in our singleness right now. Some of us feel alone and we have a fear of being alone in our addiction or in our secret sin struggle that we have going on that nobody else knows about. And I believe this fear is possibly the most dangerous one that gets woven into our lives. And I want to show you why over these next few moments. So here are the dangers that come with being, that come with having a fear of being alone. When this fear gets you in its grip, the first danger that you encounter is the fact that you buy into a false reality. You buy into a false reality. In verse 10 and in verse 14 of 1 Kings chapter 19, God spoke to Elijah twice and asked him what he was doing here. And in both of those instances, Elijah made it a point to tell God how alone he was. That there was no one else left who served God. There was no one else left who lived for God. That he was the only one that was doing his part and trying to honor God with his life. Twice he spoke that back to God to make that point evident to him. But this was a false reality. It quite simply wasn't true. And God even made that known to Elijah. If you look in verse 18, at the end of the conversation, God says this, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what God makes known to Elijah is the fact that he is bought into a false reality. Elijah says, I only am left. No one else lives for God. No one else serves God. But God says there's at least 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knees to Baal, that have not kissed the feet of this idol. 7,000. It was a far cry from the truth 
that Elijah was the only one left, but this fear had led him into buying a false reality that he was all alone, that he didn't have anybody else. The next danger that you run into when you develop a fear of being alone is that now at this point, everyone's voice begins to matter to you. Everyone's voice begins to matter. Keep in mind that Elijah was a prophet. And a prophet, in a quite simple definition, is someone who spoke the word of the Lord. And up until this point, the only voice that mattered or that Elijah even gave credit to was the voice of God. Everything that God commanded him to do was exactly what he had gone and done. Complete, utter obedience to the voice of God and the things that God had commanded him to do is what Elijah had been doing up until this point. Now we get to verse 2, and Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the guys do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now all of a sudden he has become terrified of the words of Jezebel. Listen, when you fear that you're alone, everyone's voice begins to matter to you now in ways in which it might not ever had in the past. Even, get this, the voice of the enemy. Jezebel was an enemy to God. Jezebel was an enemy to Elijah. And up until this point, he had had no fear of her threats whatsoever. But now that this fear of being alone has crept into his life, even the voice of his enemy has begun to matter to him. And the same is true in our lives. When you get to a place where you begin to be gripped by your fear of being alone, everyone's voice begins to matter, even the voice of our enemy. Everyone's thoughts begin to matter when you used to care less what anybody thought. Everyone's opinions begin to matter when you used to care less about the fact that everybody had an opinion about what you were doing. Everyone's suggestions begin to matter to where you no longer can make a decision for yourself without taking in the suggestions, the thoughts, and the opinions of everybody else. Why? Because you're scared of making a decision. You're scared of making a move. You're scared of making a choice that you will be alone in. And so you find... Whatever way you can to go with the crowd, everybody's voice begins to matter to you. And listen, here's the danger. When we allow other voices to speak, God's voice becomes silent. The next danger that we encounter when we allow fear of being alone to grip and take over our lives is that you begin to self-isolate. Elijah has bought into a false reality. He's entertained the wrong voice of influence in his life, and now full of fear, he's running. He's scared to death, literally. And in verse 3, it says, When he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there. Now, Elijah, we're told in Scripture, had a servant that traveled around with him and helped him with the chores of his ministry and we don't know exactly who he was we're not even given a name but bottom line is is that Elijah had a helper that went with him everywhere that he went and in verse 3 we see that Elijah gets to a certain point as he's running for his life and he ends up leaving his servant behind while he keeps going further into the wilderness and this is where this particular strand of fear gets strange in a lot of ways because what he fears 
is now what he's determined to find. I'm all alone becomes I just want to be alone. Self-isolation. The strangest thing to me about this fear of being alone is how it will eventually take you to a point where the very thing that you fear is the thing that you become determined to find. It's not just that I'm all alone. It's now that it has become I want to be alone. And whether you've begun to realize this or not, you're starting to self-isolate because of your fear of being alone. That's exactly what Elijah is doing at this point. He's so scared. He's so filled with fear. I'm all alone. But he had his servant with him the entire time. But he leaves him behind and begins to self-isolate. This is a danger. This is a pitfall of this fear when it fills our lives. But there's one last one that we need to address before we get into addressing this fear, before we get into breaking loose from this fear bondage that is set up in some of our lives, and that's the fact that depression overwhelms you. When you get to a place where you fear being afraid, you buy into a false reality, everyone else's voice begins to matter to you, you begin to self-isolate, and then it just progresses to the next level where eventually depression begins to overwhelm you. If you'll go back and look in verse 4, after Elijah has left his servant behind, it says this, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah, consumed by fear that he's all alone, sits down and begins to consider all things concerning his life, and gets to the conclusion that he would like to ask God to take his life. He has become completely overwhelmed by his depression. The deepest part of our fear of being alone can drive us to a place where we no longer want to be alive. That's why I said earlier I feel like this particular fear could quite possibly be the most dangerous one that weaves its way into our lives because it gets you to a place where depression can overwhelm you because you feel all alone, because you feel like you have nobody else left in your life, like there's nobody else in your corner, like there is nobody else on the face of this earth that is for you. That depression creeps in, it overwhelms you, and it can drive you to a place where you no longer want to be alive. Elijah said, it's enough for me, God. Just take my life. Better for me to die then continue on feeling like I'm alone here on this earth with nobody else for me. This fear is so real for Elijah. But this fear is so real for many of us. This fear of being alone has gripped you. And as a result, you've bought into a false reality that you really are alone. You've bought into a false reality that you really are alone in your addiction. You've bought into a false reality that you really are alone in your sin struggle, that you really are alone in your depression, that you really are alone in your anxiety, that you really are alone in the family crisis that you're having to deal with, that you really are alone in your struggle with singleness and trying to find someone to make a life with. This fear has crept in and you've bought into this false reality and now everyone else's voice has begun to matter to you. 
Everyone else's voice begins to fill your life and you begin to entertain those voices, especially the enemy's voice, who has begun to convince you that you are going to die in this, that there is no escape from it, that this is how your life is always going to be. And you've never entertained those voices before. But now that you have this deep fear of being alone, everybody else's voice begins to matter to you. You entertain others' opinions. You entertain others' thoughts. You entertain others' suggestions because you're afraid that if you do something other than that, you'll be left alone in those things. And now you're at the point where you're self-isolating. I just need to be alone. I just need to deal with this by myself. Even though there's people around me, like Elijah, I'm going to leave my servant behind and I'm going to push further into my fear. Now your fear has you in your feels that puts you in your thoughts that you really are alone and depression is beginning to overwhelm you right now. I guarantee you there is someone that this message is hitting with right now that you're considering the same thing possibly that Elijah just considered. Go ahead, God. It's enough. I'm ready to be done with it. I would rather no longer continue living than I would continue living and be alone. This fear is real. This fear is dangerous. This fear has, can, and will take lives. But through God and because of God, this fear can be conquered. Through God and because of God, this fear can be controlled. This strand of fear can be snapped. Why? Because He gives us the promise of His presence. Here's your solution to your fear of being alone. God gives us the promise of His presence. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, and starting in verse 6, God's word says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And He will not leave you or forsake you. As His children, God has promised us His presence. He will be with you. He will not leave you. So put down that false reality that you have developed, that you are actually alone and pick up a true reality that you're not alone based off of the promises of God's word. God is with you wherever you are, wherever you go, or wherever you end up. He's with you in your addiction. He's with you in your secret sin struggle. He's with you in your family crisis that you're going through. He's with you during that miscarriage that you just experienced. He's with you in your singleness, and He knows that you're searching for someone to build a life with. He's with you in your chemo treatment. He's with you in that doctor's waiting room before you ever even get that diagnosis. He's with you in a new place that you've never been, surrounded by people that you have never met. God is with you, and our fear of being alone is driven back by God's promise of His presence. When he made this promise to Moses and to Joshua, they were getting ready to go into the promised land. And this fear of being alone, this fear of having to do it themselves, they completely overwhelmed them. And God says, don't worry about that. I will be with you, and I will go before you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. And so our fear of being alone is driven back by the promise of God's presence. I will be with you. The fact is, as believers, as men and women of God, there is never a moment in your life when you're alone because God's presence is always with you, no matter where you're at. And so our fear of being alone is driven back by the truth of His promise that He gives us His presence. But then we also have the assurance of His action. In Isaiah chapter 41, in verse 10, God's word says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So our fear of being alone is driven back by God's assurance of his action. He says that I will strengthen you. If you go back to the story of Elijah, when he had ran and ran and ran, ran himself to the point of exhaustion, he falls down and he falls asleep underneath a broom tree and the angel shakes him and provides a meal for him. Elijah falls back to sleep and the angel wakes him up again and shakes him and says, here, get up and take some food because the journey is too great for you. And so Elijah gets up and again he eats what God had provided for him. And then if you look at what God says afterwards, after he ate those foods, it says in verse 8, he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. God knew that Elijah had been filled with this fear of being alone. And so he provided a meal, and even the simplest of ways, God gives us strength when we need it the most. He provides a meal for Elijah that will give him the strength to carry on even in the midst of his fear. So God doesn't just give us a promise of his presence. He says that I will show you action that goes along with my presence in your life. So if you have a fear of being afraid, God will strengthen you. He will give you what you need to be able to continue to push through and make your way out of that fear. Not only that, in Isaiah he says, I will help you. And he did the same thing for Elijah. When Elijah found himself in that cave, cowering in fear, all alone by himself, God's voice spoke into that place and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's not that God was condemning Elijah. It's not that God was getting on to Elijah. So God wasn't screaming and yelling and berating Elijah for having fled from Jezebel when it was the most ridiculous thing he could have possibly done. The man just saw God himself send down fire from heaven and consume 800 people. And yet he's scared of the few words of a wicked queen? It made no sense. God should have been horrendously mad with Elijah. God should have shook the mountain that Elijah was in. God should have pulled him out and took his belt off and gave him a whooping. I don't know. But he's not like that. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And what I hear in God's voice when he asks Elijah that question is, Elijah, you're not where you're supposed to be. But let me help you. I know you're going through some struggles. I know you're facing some legitimate fears right now. What are you doing here? Let, let me help you. Let me help you move past the fear that has entered into your life as a result of these circumstances and this situation. So God gives us the assurance of his actions by bringing help into our life. And then the last thing that he says in Isaiah is that he will uphold you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. And he does the same thing for Elijah here. After they have a conversation with each other, God says this to Elijah at the very end of the conversation. He, he says, return on your way to the wilderness. You know where one of the scariest places you can be when you fear being alone? It's in a wilderness. It's in this vast expanse of nothingness where it's literally just you and nobody else to me one of the scariest places that you can find yourself when you are filled with the fear of being alone is in a wilderness but God says to return to that place Elijah I want you to return your way to the wilderness 
but it's going to be different this time. Because Elijah is going to have an understanding that God is with him. That his presence is going before him. He's going now in the strength of the Lord and the help that he has found in a desolate place, cowering in a cave, full of fear. And God has promised to uphold him as he goes back into the place that he ran in fear from. All throughout Scripture, we see God promising his presence. I will be with you. And assuring his action in our lives. All throughout Scripture, you see. So if there's one thing that that tells me, it's that God is completely adamant that you know you're not alone. Time and time again, He made it a point of emphasis in His Word to say, fear not and do not be dismayed because I will be with you. If there's one message tonight that God wants you to hear and receive and understand and place within your life is that you are not alone. You're not alone in your addiction. God is with you in that place. You're not alone in that secret sin struggle that you continue to battle. God is with you in that struggle. You're not alone in your family crisis that you're dealing with. It's beyond your control that your parents are getting divorced. It's beyond your control that your sibling is acting in a certain way, but God is with you in the midst of that crisis. God is with you in the midst of your physical battles that you are facing in the form of sickness or disease. You're not alone in those treatment rooms. You're not alone in those waiting rooms. God is with you. If you have nobody else that you feel like is in your corner, If you have nobody else that you feel like is on your side, God is with you. Fear not. I will be with you. And not only that, I will strengthen you. Not only that, I will help you. And not only that, I will uphold you. If you're filled with fear of being alone, if this strand has kept you in bondage, It's time to break loose from that. And the way we do so is by trusting in the promise of God's presence to drive it back. But also having confidence in the assurance of His action that He strengthens and He helps and He upholds. When we feel like we have nobody else. God, I want to pray right now in this moment for each and every person who by your divine appointment and intervention has made their way to this message. Whether it be right now here with us live or whether it be at a later day when somebody comes across it, God, I pray that your spirit would give them an assurance of the action that you are taking in their lives, that your spirit would remind them of the promise of your presence, that you are with them wherever they go. God, what a comforting thing it is for us to know that you are with us and that our fear of being alone can be driven back by the assurance of that promise. God, I'm reminded of Jacob when he laid down at Bethel and had a vision 
of your angels ascending and descending from heaven. And he woke up and he said, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I was unaware. But the greater part of that story to me, God, is that years later, Jacob has gone through his life and he's seen many more years of your faithfulness. He returns back to that place where he first had that vision. And he makes a declaration that not only were you with him in that place, but you had been with him wherever he had gone. And God, that same promise is still true for those of us that are here today doing our best to live for your glory and your honor, doing our best to reach the nations with the gospel. You're still with us today. Wherever we go, your presence is with us. So God, I pray that souls all throughout would begin to be relieved of their fear of being alone. And that fear would instead be replaced by faith of the assurance that your presence is with us and that you will never leave us or forsake us. We love you, God. and We thank you for the work you've done in our lives. We ask that this word that we have and that we have received would take root in our lives, and that it would bear fruit and it would bring glory unto your name, God. And wherever we go, may we experience your presence with us in that place. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.